Hi, this is Guy Kawasaki, and you're listening to Leadership Biz Cafe. Hi, everyone. This is Tavi Nasir, and I'd like to welcome you to the first episode of my new podcast, Leadership Biz Cafe. It's my hope to use this series to engage in conversations with business leaders and leadership experts about the field of leadership and the challenges and opportunities to be found in today's evolving and competitive global market. For my first interview, I'm pleased to have Guy Kawasaki on the line with me. Guy is the co-founder of Alltop.com and one of the founding partners of Garage Technology Ventures. Prior to this, he was also the chief evangelist at Apple. To date, Guy has written 10 books, including his latest one called Enchantment, where he shares his insights on how individuals and organizations can become more enchanting, and as Guy writes in his book, dream the same dream you do. So Guy, welcome to the show, and thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Yes, good morning. Now, before we dive into discussing some of the ideas you share in your latest book, I'd like to start off with a question I'm sure you've fielded a lot lately, but which I think will help our listeners get a better handle on what we're talking about. And that is, what is enchantment? What do you mean by enchanting others? Well, by enchanting others, I mean that you, know, you, you build upon a foundation of high quality, likability, and trustworthiness to relationship with your customers and your friends uh, and your relatives even, that uh, it is about uh, delighting people, mutually beneficial, long-lasting, uh, to take us from a world where it seems like the best case is engagement to a higher level where it's now all about uh, enchanting people. Uh, just as if you're old enough to remember, Tom Peters took us from an age of company surviving to an age where company should be excellent. So I want people to be enchanting just like Tom Peters wanted companies to be excellent. In terms of becoming more enchanting, uh, you share a number of steps in your book, the first one being on how to become more likable. Yes. Now, one thing I enjoyed very early on while reading your book was how clear your storytelling voice came across to the reader. It was not only very disarming, but it felt quite approachable, which I think is important when you're trying to show people how to shift their focus to being more outward-facing and, as such, more likable. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you uh, interpreted my writing that way. <laughs> uh, I, I can't tell you that I sat down and said, okay, be approachable in your writing. I mean, that is the way I write, but I'm glad you took it that way, that's for sure. Well, regardless of whether it was intentional or not, I think it reinforces the underlying message in your book about how all the measures you talk about shouldn't be done merely to manipulate others but from the vantage point of genuineness and trust. Yes. And, of course, being trustworthy is one of the key criteria you mentioned in your book, where you point out that to become trustworthy means that we have to take the first step in trusting others. Yes, uh, this is definitely not a chicken versus egg problem. There is a very specific order, which is the onus is upon you to trust others, just as, you know, uh, Zappos trusted women, and then women started trusting Zappos. Uh, and you know, Nordstrom trusted people, and people started trusting Nordstrom. So it is not, uh, you know, if you trust me, I'll trust you. It's I will trust you, and hopefully you will trust me. Speaking of how our behaviors impact the way others perceive and interact with us, 
One thing I've noticed being discussed a lot lately is how we're becoming more and more distracted by the various online social channels that we're becoming so preoccupied with keeping tabs on what's going on that we're beginning to lose sight of the importance of focusing on the person standing in front of us. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's why some businesses, some individuals, seem to have an easier time or ability to enchant us over others that they've been able to resist the urge to keep checking their smartphones and instead maintain their focus and interest on what's going on around them. Well, you know, one of the keys to enchantment is to show up. And when you show up, two of the keys then are the quality of your smile and the quality of your handshake. And both of those things require being in the moment, concentrating on the person or a small group of people. Um, so, you know, it's hard to figure that a person who you just meet and then whips out his Blackberry and starts checking email while you're still shaking his hand, <laughs> that's not going to be an enchanting person, right? Right. Um, but having said that, I will say that I believe technology has made it easier to enchant more people because assuming you don't abuse it in that scenario that I just painted, um, I know for a fact that I have many more friends in many places that I could never have had before because of Twitter and Facebook. Another topic you touch on in your book is influence. Yep. Lately there seems to be a lot of attention being paid to how individuals and organizations can measure how much pull they might have over others on the various social media platforms. Yeah. In your book, you take another approach to how to view influence that it's not about getting people to do what you want, but understanding what's their intent, why they do what they do, and how you can help. Could you elaborate a bit on your take on influence and why enchanting others is a better approach? I think the word influence uh, is, is at best neutral, but perhaps a bit negative, and it implies that you are somehow, uh, I don't know, forcing is too strong a word, but somehow you're, you're inducing an unnatural change. And, you know, perhaps to the detriment of the person who's being influenced. And uh, I purposely, you know, didn't choose a word like influence or persuade or woo, uh, because I think enchantment has a higher quality. Uh, it is a, a loftier goal. Uh, you know, I could I could influence you into buying a computer from a particular brand, right? But if that brand enchants you, I think it means that you you buy it with great delight. Six months later, you're very happy with the purchase, as opposed to uh, buyer's remorse. And in the case of Apple, you buy a Macintosh, then you buy an iPhone, iPod, iPad, iPad 2. Um, you know, that's an enchanting relationship as opposed to a relationship that started with them influencing you, promoting, selling, bludgeoning, you know, coercing or discounting you into buying something that you are not satisfied with in the long term. Do you think this difference between enchanting others uh, instead of trying to influence them has to do with the expectations we have regarding our interactions with others? where influencing others is more about trying to get something in return from the exchange, whereas your model of enchantment is more about thinking of how your efforts will benefit the person you're engaging with. I guess 
enchantment is more about mutual beneficial relationships, the the long haul, um, not immediate sales, closing, gratification, etc. Um, the book is really quite idealistic in that sense. Uh, I, I, I hope it. You know, I hope it changes people's attitudes towards each other. You know, like give peace a chance. You know. Right. Well, given how the focus of my blog is on leadership and managing workplace interactions, I was naturally drawn to those two chapters in your book on how to enchant your employees and also how employees can enchant their bosses. Yeah. So to start off, how can leaders enchant their employees? What steps can leaders take to be enchanting? The method to enchant your employees, uh, here's you know, sort of key points. Uh, first key point is you provide them with what uh, Daniel Pink calls uh, a map, which is uh, the ability to master new skills by working for you, the ability to work autonomously and independently, not micromanaged, and finally, the P at a higher purpose. So if you say to your employees, listen, you know, you come work for me, you'll master new skills, you'll be working autonomously, and we have a higher purpose in this organization than simply making a buck. We're making the world a better place. Uh, you know, that's 90% of the, of the battle in enchanting employees. Um, one, one more thing you could do as a boss is now you empower the employees to make decisions for customers. And then one last thing you could do uh, the example I like to use is Mike Rowe of Dirty Jobs, which is you show that you're willing to suck it up, that you you know you're willing to do what it what it takes, and and you never ask an employee to do something that you yourself would not do. Now to go to the other side of the business relationship equation on how employees can enchant their bosses. Yes. Some of the points you shared for this might seem a bit controversial, mostly because I think we don't view this as being a part of our job. So could you tell me how employees can enchant their bosses and why they need to make these shifts in attitude or perception? Well, the, the key here is that if you really want to enchant your boss, uh, step number one is when your boss asks you to do something, you drop everything and you do it. And this might not seem pleasant, it might not even seem optimal for the organization, but you know what can I tell you? This is what it would take. And uh, because you really don't know your boss's reality either. I mean, you may think it's a stupid request, but uh, your boss's boss is asking for something. And so, you know, it's all about making your boss look good because, uh, as they say, a rising tide floats all boats. And whether you like it or not, you're kind of tied to the success of your boss. So if your boss uh, rises, you rise. Um, I've very seldom seen the case where an underling um, undermines his or her boss, and then gets that job. You know, I've never seen that happen. So if you hate your boss, you know, either enchant your boss or get out of there, but don't think you're going to tank your boss and get his job or her job. I think this is a very important point and something we don't talk about or want to admit because it's a harsh truth about the workplace, and that is that employees rarely, if ever, get promoted over their boss. <laughs> have you ever seen it? I I've have. never seen it, but you know, it's something <laughs> we never think of, right? We all think like, oh, this guy's a moron. We all yeah, assume yeah. that the person above him is going to say, this guy's an idiot. They're going to tough them out, and then I'll get yeah. their position, right? Makes you wonder why we don't talk about it more. That, that's why people have to spend 14 bucks and get the book. If it, <laughs> if it was common knowledge, I wouldn't have to write it, right? <laughs> Just for that line. <laughs> yeah, the rest now, is cream. <laughs> 
Okay. Now, I know you mentioned this in your book, so I, I want to play a little bit of a devil's advocate here. Okay. Let's say my organization is currently doing well, or my boss is happy with my efforts. Why should I worry about being enchanting? What is the competitive risk I face by leaving such approaches to companies like Zappos, Apple, and Virgin? It, se it seems to me that people want to do want to do the best they can. They, they want to work for an organization that um, they can excel at. And you know, I mean that's you know, believe it or not, that's why people work for Apple. You know, Apple is not a participative democracy. It is at best a benign autocracy. Okay? So if you work for Apple, you live in fear of being called out by Steve Jobs. No question. Okay, you think about that every day. Steve might come in my cube one day and said, that, you know, my work is lousy. Okay, it's actually a stronger word, but you know, you never know who's listening to this. So, <laughs> so, but you know, why do they do that? Why does Apple just get the best and the brightest? Because they know if they go to work for Apple, they can do the best work of their lives, and um, that's that's the kind of enchanting you can do. I mean, it, it if you enable people to do the best work of their lives. Uh, it's amazing, you know, the kind of people you attract and the kind of work that they do. And and this is all about, you know, and to do the best work of your life, you have to enchant your customer. I mean, I don't see a scenario where you're doing great work in a company and you're pissing customers off. I mean, just, you know, I can't wrap my mind around that scenario. Now, Guy, if there was to be one outcome or impact that enchantment has on the business world, what would you want it to be? What are you hoping will be the lasting message that you impart from this book? Well, you know, um, I, I want to raise people's expectation for what their relationship should be with other people. And, and going back to the example that I used at the top of the hour, uh, you know, I, I think anyone who read In Search of Excellence came away thinking that, you know, yeah, I mean, we can do better. This There is a higher level of, of um, professionalism and higher level of customer service and innovation and stuff. There is excellence. And so I want people to come away after reading my book, looking at their lives and how they behave and, and saying, you know what, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, you know, I certainly can't be a, a butthead. Uh, but, you know, I thought all I had to do was engage, but, you know, you can engage and still be a butthead. You just be a butthead engager. But to, to, be, to go beyond that is to be enchanting. And enchanting is positive and it's long term and it's mutually beneficial. And, you know, it, it brings a smile to your face. And I actually think it takes less energy to be enchanting than to be a butthead. Because when you're a butthead, you know, you've got to look for ways to screw people. And you got to be angry all the time and you always have to be on the defensive because you're afraid someone's going to take it out in revenge on you. There's a lot of things you have to worry about when you're a butthead. I can tell you, Guy, I certainly hadn't thought of the concerns or problems a butthead would face. Well, you know, now you know. Better you learn from me now than, you know, having to experience it firsthand. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Guy, thank you so much for taking the time to discuss your latest book, Enchantment. And it's great to have you as the first guest on my podcast. Cool. Thank you very much.
I've been talking with Guy Kawasaki about his latest book, Enchantment. You can learn more about his book by visiting his website at GuyKawasaki.com. You can find links to his website and to buying his book online on my website at TanvirNasir.com. Well, that's it for the first episode of my brand new podcast, Leadership Biz Cafe. I hope you enjoyed this first conversation, and I look forward to bringing you more interviews with business leaders, writers, and thinkers in the upcoming episodes of this new series, which you can find on my website. This is Tavernasir. Thanks, everyone, for listening.